Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is Richard Sebagala, back again. And I'm going to be talking about customer relationship management, customer service. This is a follow-on from my last podcast where I talked about my book, that I have a book, I've written a book. And the book is called The Fish Rots from the Head. I published it in 2017, actually. Uh, so it's been on the market for quite a while. It is available in Aristoc, And it is available on Amazon. And Sevagala. Double S-E-B-A-G-G-A-L-A. Somebody once asked me, Why did you write this book? Or did you want to become rich? And I said... Not particularly, no. Wealth was not really the driving force. Although at the back of my mind, I thought, I think I can make some money out of trying to improve our customer relationship management. So the real reason I wrote the book was to explore why customer relationship management, customer service is such a challenge in Uganda and many Ugandan and African service establishments. Because I had had the opportunity to study this industry, I decided, you know what, let me write down my thoughts. If I make some money off of this, fine. But if I don't, well, people can always say, as they put me, as they put me six foot under, oh, he wrote a little book that nobody read. <laughs> there is a lawyer who sparred with I sparred with um, on Twitter, and he said, "Oh, keep writing books that nobody will read." So maybe he's already written my epitaph. Anyhow, why is our customer service provision such a challenge? These are my theories. Number one, I really think it really takes a village. And with that in mind, we have to look at the erosion of our collective mentoring values to understand why our service is such a challenge. When I was growing up as a child, whenever we visited my grandparents in the village in Chirinya, which is now no longer a village, but that is story for another, another day, we knew that without having to be reminded that we should never walk past grandpa's house or the neighbor's houses without greeting them. Dutifully, we would stop and greet everybody. We understood the consequences of such an oversight to be so deadly that no one ever tested that boundary as far as I'm aware. Indeed, it was to toy with trouble to bypass any of the elders' homes on our way from Boyogeri, which was the little town near my grandfather's house, without stopping to salute everybody. Why? We had been raised to understand that it was the mark of due respect and good manners to acknowledge our elders wherever we encountered them. Oddly, we would never sit down to any meals at all, this time for the reason that it was impolite to accept meals from anywhere else except at home. That's what uh, it was, you know, eating outside or getting, get crushing the meals of the neighbors was a no-no 
and we would always politely decline and head home. Oh, that is my, um, it's 5.31 now in the morning and uh, I hear the mirrors in. Uh, oh, don't worry. I'm, I, I'm continuing. I love all these sounds in the morning. So it was with a difference for our elders that I grew up respecting everybody. Even elders who I didn't really know, they all formed a wide safety net and control mechanism. And they were always watching me from a distance. Whenever I thought like acting up, the thought of Aunt X or Uncle Y finding out about my misdeeds was enough to make me reconsider my actions, all to stop me in my tracks. Most of these adults were not even blood relatives. However, they wielded unquestionable authority over me and over us. To this day, I have friends of my father who I still call uncle or aunt even though they were not related to him by blood or marriage. Such was their relationship with my family that I still second-guess myself before I act, lest my actions embarrass them or do not live up to their expectations. I pride myself on my professional integrity. I know that the main reason I've kept to date has been proper bringing. Well, in as much as I can talk about that, because that's for others to determine. So, the very thought, as I was growing up, that I had engaged in financial impropriety of any sort in the workplace, was, was something that would have been frowned upon. And so we grew up knowing that when you make a mistake, you are not making a mistake for you alone. Other people are watching. Sadly, I, I think those ties have disappeared largely over the, four, the past 40 to 50 years, gradually. It is not uncommon to see youths and young children fighting with their parents over who are television channel to watch at home or where to go on an outing for which the parents are paying. With a tail increasingly wagging the dog, raising children has become a solitary and difficult task that parents understandably cede to television, video games and smartphones to keep the peace. Extended ties with friends being passed off as relatives are a thing of the past and young people growing up without protective circles of support individuals that they hold in the highest regard, or role models that they are embarrassed to offend. Our role models are also changing to internet celebrities and influencers. But that in effect means that the values that form the backbone of, our, of most of our tribal upbringing have been eroded to be replaced by WhatsApp, chat rooms, wisdom from television talk and reality shows, social media, and experimentation with peers without oversight from the, from the people who used to look over the fence to say, how are these kids behaving? So more and more young people are reaching the age of joining the workforce without a wide enough circle of older people to look up to. And no wonder they show no compunction 
in dipping their fingers in their employers' cash customer uh, cash registers. They are chasing get-rich-quick schemes. And all this when they are supposed to be at work. So that is a challenge, I think. Our age-old mentoring system has been eroded. It has been overtaken. It has been broken down with dreadful consequences for our work ethic. Even if our young people are branded unprofessional, lazy, disengaged, untrustworthy, unethical, the, youth, the story might end with a simple termination at worst. But the, f the shame of yonder years is gone. So somebody gets terminated, gets another job, keeps moving. Yet before we had that control saying, oh my God, I have to behave so that I, I don't embarrass my, my family, my society. Now it's me, me. So you can't, one can't stress enough the importance of restoring mentoring programs in our schools, in society at large, and in the workplace. Now, in my view, the mentors need to be professionally trained in the best practices of mentoring because we are also making mistakes by thinking that mentoring is just simple. You just do it. Let's mentor. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about mentoring and what it actually means because many times we make a mistake and confuse mentoring with all sorts of other things. And so let me talk a bit about mentoring. But first of all, let me have a bit of a musical interlude. Now, I'm back to talk about mentoring. I often hear professional people and organizations say, oh, that person, she, he is not up to what we need. You know, we hired him and we thought he was going to do A, B, C, D, E, and now it doesn't seem like he's all she is where we want them to be. Let's give, let's put it, uh, let's give them mentoring. That is a correct use of mentoring. When you use mentoring in the professional world, you are teaming somebody who is less experienced with an employee who is more experienced. Or it may, it might not, even if it's not necessarily an employee in the same organization. But the idea of mentoring is to impart or to support another person with the experience that you've already got. So mentoring assumes a number of things. Number one, it assumes that there is going to be a relationship between the mentee and the mentor and vice versa. It also assumes that there is going to be to and fro sharing just because the mentor 
has the experience doesn't mean they just talk and talk and talk and the mentee has no input. That's not how it works. The very first mistake that employees make or that we make with mentoring is trying to do it artificially. So and so is new. You've been here a long time. Mentor them. You have to look at it very carefully and say, will they get along? Do they have enough in common for them to get along? Very important question. Because unless you have that relationship, it's going to be difficult for the mentor, the mentor and the mentee to get along. It's going to be very difficult. So most of the time we tell people, read, study the mentee and then say, who can we best pair them with? That's number one. Number two, when you are thinking of a mentoring relationship, also think, what exactly do we want to get from this? Because remember, relationships, mentoring relationships can last a lifetime. Once it works, you'll find that the mentee and the mentor will go on with this relationship for a long time. If you can find a way of the mentoring relationship to last longer than two, three, four, five sessions, you are onto something. That's on that level. Now, another area of mentoring that is quite critical is for the mentor to accept, to be humble enough to accept that the mentee has, is bringing something to the table. And that is very difficult because mentoring, the way I've seen it practiced in Uganda, mentors expect to just talk and talk or to tell. And as I've explained, we, our young people now have all sorts of stimuli. There's so much going on in their lives that you can't assume you're just going to tell and tell. So you have to learn as the mentor to be humble enough to say, maybe he also knows something. Maybe she has something to say. And then turn the tables and talk less, perhaps 70, 60%, even maybe 80%. And then you let your mentee do most of the talking because then they own the process and you, you act as a guide. That is difficult because after all, you've said, I'm your mentor. I'm the one who is most experienced. I should be the one to talk and talk and tell you. No, that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. And that is where many mentoring relationships fail because the mentor might assume they know and they really do have the experience. But they can't just sort of dictate our young people are not like that anymore you dictate you have no way of really figuring out whether they are following or not so but that is an area that organizations faith-based organizations or corporate organizations ngos need to look at don't assume mentoring will happen by forcing it it has to be 
something that both the mentor and mentee want to engage in. It is voluntary. And because it is voluntary, it requires the acceptance of all parties. Now, I recognize that we don't really have the amount of time we used to enjoy for things like mentoring. It's a fast world, and now we have COVID-19 decimating our thoughts of what the work environment should look like. It requires, there are a lot of moving parts now in the employment world. Nonetheless, I do think that it is important to try to create mentoring opportunities and even maintain the ones that, are, that exist, mostly to create the environment and then invest in the training of the mentors. Those who are willing, and they usually have found that many people want to do it, but they don't know what to do. And they must sometimes don't even know what it takes because it takes putting in some time to know your mentee, to guide, but most critically, to hear and value and guide their input. So that is what I'm going to leave you with today. We are struggling with our customer relationship management because we have lost the mentoring value, both in our traditional societies and in the world of work. Unless we find a way of bringing that back, it's going to be very difficult because customer relationship management is learned from our homes where, as I've tried to illustrate, the parents are no longer there because they are at work. And it is learned from our peers who are also too busy doing every this, that, and the other. So we have children raising themselves for the most part. And then we have young people who don't have the role models we used to have. Their role models are now all on social media. And not to beat up on people who are influencers and slayers and all that. But a role model is somebody who builds you to the next level. And I don't believe we have enough people like that who build you to the next level. We have people who tell you they have grown rich by, you know, plucking a chicken and then having a, a farm and all sorts of things like that. All starting with half a shoe and now they have um, a million followers, things, things of that nature. But that's not the reality that most of us live in. So I say, let's look at how we, re- we bring back our mentoring both in the homes, in society, and at work. Let's do the best we can. And once we agree that we need mentoring, let's give people professional training so that they don't struggle on their own when it comes to mentoring. I'm going to leave it here. And I'm going to leave you with Sibelius again, Symphony. <laughs>